the change. We have to send Brian one. Bam, we're live. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Caleb, when did that come? Literally just now. Oh, you the man. You the man. Good to see you. Brian Monarch, Sevon Matosi on the Sevon Podcast live on uh, the place where platform that President Trump cannot speak, even if it's to a room full of 22-year-old boys. There you go. Good to see you, brother. Holy you shit, you're a fucking comic in L.A. Los Angeles stand-up comedy scene. It's, it's something, I'll tell you. You guys are a trippy bunch. I'm starting to dig in. So I'm trying to leverage a podcast. I, I come from the CrossFit world. And I'm trying to leverage my blue check mark to get as many cool people on here as I can. Like, you know, like we're all just kind of like we're in a swimming pool, just climbing. Everyone's drowning and we're just pulling on each other to try to get to the top. Yeah. Well, so that's why I appreciate you coming on and letting me stand on your shoulders for for a few minutes, an hour. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Is that a a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles hat you have on? This is a Floyd uh, Money Mayweather uh, Uh, hat. Yeah. Um, I was actually at the Four Seasons in your hood in Beverly Hills, and the guy I was at the bar, and the guy there who runs his, I guess they call it merch these days. That's what the cool mm-hmm. kids call it. His right. merch page was at the bar, and um, and I was actually there with uh, the founder of CrossFit, Greg, and Greg and him, uh, Gre- Greg will talk to anyone. He just wants to spread the word of of health, and he starts um, shooting the shit with this guy, and he ends up being Floyd's best friend from when they were little kids. And um, so, so we we got a connection, and then a few years later, he killed himself. The end. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, Brian, you're fifty. I'm fifty-one, dude. How can that be? I saw you on the um. I I, I mean, I've been obviously been researching you, but I watched you for an hour and a half, very very patiently sit through the community service podcast. Okay. Do you remember um, that one that you did? Community service. Who 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 is who hosts that? The good good. I'm glad you want to forget this one. It was um, Craig Con- Conant. Oh yeah, yeah, Craig Conant. Yeah, he's a, he's a stand up comedian as well. Yeah, and uh, you I said you were, his podcast was called for a second. You said you were 50, and uh, I, I can't because I just turned 50 yesterday. Oh okay. Yeah, I mean, and, you just don't have as good a genes as me, man. Yeah, I don't have any genes compared to you. Just kidding. I'm wearing I'm wearing Lululemons. Oh, there you go. I got Paige jeans on. Um, incredible. And um, how, how and you've been doing stand up comedy since 1998. Well, I tried an open mic in 1998, and back then there was no social media, and I tried to find other shows, but I just kept doing open mics for a while. Did some bringer shows, if you know what those are. And, I don't. Uh, what are those? Tell me what those are. It's, what that's you when you're s- starting. Yeah, you're starting out and you're nobody is interested in seeing you because you're nobody at that point. So you got to try to get your friends and your family to come out. And the promoter is like, if you can get like, you know, five or ten people out, you'll, you know, get a better spot. And it's just all about filling up the room because there's nobody famous on those types of shows, really. Did you call it a bringer show? Yeah, because you got to bring your friends and family. Yeah, and bring your own guests. Yeah, pretty much. That's what that's the way it works out here. Because, I mean, if you can go see Dane Cook down the street on that corner and Eliza Schlesinger on that corner, and like, you know, who's going to want to go see these newbies if you don't invite your fam- friends and family? You know, it's just how how it is because there's it's so saturated out here. There's comedy everywhere, and there's so many big names. So you got to 
do what you can to get a spot. Is it the hardest? Is that the mecca of um, stand-up comedy? Like, if you want to go and be around all the other comics, that's where you go. I'd say New York or LA each has their own hub. Um, those are the two workout towns, I guess you would call it. Um, but there's other towns that have big comedy scenes, like Chicago and other places. I think Austin is starting to boom a little now that Joe Rogan moved out there. So. Really? Is that or is that because of him? Well, I know he's building a club or he I know he's in a club right now and I think he's building another club. And I think uh, a lot of his friends moved out there with him. Like I think Tom Segura moved out there with Christina Pazitsky and um, a few others, Tony Hinchcliffe. And so, yeah, it's starting to blow up over there. I, I would I would imagine I'm not there, but, you know, but he's definitely running some stuff. How many comics do you think you could name? Uh, probably 100. It, may, it seems like you could name even more. They just roll off of your tongue. Yeah. I mean, I've been in this business for a long time. I've been running shows since probably 15 years ago. So, yep. You've been running shows? So you actually run shows also? Yeah. I book uh, right now. I'm at the Hollywood Improv every Tuesday and Thursday, and I run that. So I get a lot of, you know, it's me and three or four real big names. And yeah, I was running it at the comedy store before the pandemic every Saturday in the main room over there. So are you the guy that, you know, I've never, I've obviously watched a ton of stand up comedy and a ton of comedy on TV. Um, but are you the guy I've never been to a show? Are you the guy that, that introduces the people and then they like, they rip on you a little bit or you rip on them a little bit and then they do their set. No, when I you say you run it. No, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry, I sorry. have hosted in the past, but you know, I don't usually you don't try to rip on the comics unless it's a roast or something. But yeah, I mean, just a subtle, just a subtle. You, I, I don't mean like a roast, but you know how like when they switch in and out, like it's kind of like a backhanded compliment. Yeah, the guy, Brian Monarch, the guy who can barely walk out here because his dick's so big. You know, it's like a making exactly. fun of you, but it's also like, yeah, sometimes you'll throw in a little pop like that, or even just what comics will try to do is try to do a callback to one of their jokes. They'll try to make one of their jokes that they just did a little funnier by adding something to it, you know? So that's what I would usually do. But yeah, I mean, it's just whatever, whatever feels good in the moment, whatever you think will make them laugh. You do something to me that seems so fucking risky, but it seems also that it would have the highest reward. You interact with the crowd like a lot, like more than anyone else that I, that I've been watching. Is, right. is that fair to say? Um, I would say that, uh, I've definitely enjoyed doing that because it's, uh, you know, when you do stand up, people are like, they see you on, in February and then they, they're like in, in March, like, do you have all new material? And you're like, no, it doesn't work that way. So it does get redundant doing your jokes and trying to come up with something that's gold, that is unique, that nobody else has done, you know, and it takes time to come up with a, a well-constructed joke that hasn't been done. So I try to, you know talk to the crowd and get something funny out of that um, while I'm doing my regular standup, just to change the monotony and try to get something funny out of it. Something I can post online. You know, it's, it's fun. As you talk now, if I want to engage with you, I have to listen to you, but my, right. but inherently I'm in a panic cause it's a podcast and I'm trying to like come up with the next question and make sure there's the flow. Yeah. You're, but you're up there and you're fucking engaging these people and like you're really listening to them and like you're so quick. 
And uh, I, I just, it, it seems so risky. You know, they say to lawyers, um, don't ever ask a question if you don't know what they're going to say, you know, when someone's yeah. on the stand, like that's a trick, but you do that. Like your job is to go up there and no matter what, I mean, you put yourself in these really, really um, crazy situations. And of course I'm, I'm watching all this stuff on YouTube. So I don't know if they just, you pick and choose, but you're fucking killing it. It never gets weird. You're just killing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, things happen over the years, obviously. And I'm only going to post the things that turn out funny. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it doesn't go, a lot of people don't want to talk to you either. Like I'll be like, so how long have you guys been dating? And they'll both just stare at me like this. And I'll just be like talking to you and they'll just like, I don't know what's going on in their heads, but I'll be like, all right, next. You Dude, know? I would do that. I would do that too. The I way some of the shit you say to people. Oh yeah. I'd be so afraid. Yeah, but some people are totally into it, and they'll, they'll talk too much. Like, sometimes I ask the guy what he does, and he started going on and on. I finally just pulled out the stool and sat down and was just like, <laughs> I've got 15 minutes up here. Let's waste five minutes on your job, you know? So it's, it just depends who you get and what mood they're in. How long have you been awake right now? Oh, man, I just woke up at like 11.30 a.m. That's why. I, do I look tired as shit? No, no, not at all. You look like 42-year-old strapping stud who just came in from a five-mile run and just ready to rock and roll. You got your guitar back there. You ready to like do do some um, practice some comedy skits playing music? I wish but, I could, but I can't play it very well. Um, and, and, and Do you get up that late because you were up so late last night? Um, sometimes, but... Last night I took a sleep gummy and I woke up at like 9 a.m., went to the bathroom, fell back to sleep, woke up at 1130. I was like, oh, my God, I don't usually sleep till 1130. So in an hour or so, I'll feel much better. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. When you when you're on with this guy. Um, Craig. Yeah. You guys talk about inspirations or you guys talk about going back sometime. And he mentions Beavis and Butthead. And like, I, like I couldn't do, and I, th I think maybe you even said it in the, in the bit, in the, in the um, interview, which really wasn't an interview. You said, yeah, you watched the first one and you thought it was so stupid. Mm -hmm. But after watching like three or four, you're like, okay, he's, there's, there's some, I, I can get into these guys. Yeah. I, I, I my, all my friends were into him and everyone loved imitating him all that. I couldn't, for some reason I couldn't do it, but my when you were a kid who did you watch like i was obsessed with abbott and costello like oh. more so than like i watched the three stooges but only if it was on but like i looked at the t do you remember the tv guide that little square magazine rectangle oh, of course. I, I, I actually we would get the la times tv guide which was more of like a taller paper you know thing and uh you know saturday morning cartoons when i was little yep yep when i got older it was more like uh when I started getting into comedy, it was honestly, it was Eddie Murphy, Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, and, Dice, man. Yeah. And Dennis Leary, who I l later found out stole all of his jokes. So, Oh, yeah. did he really? Oh, yeah. Like, they had a side-by-side. -side, um, who is that guy that he stole from? He died. He's like a... Every comedian looks at, at his, him as a hero. The yelling guy? The short yelling guy? No, he did, he wasn't like that. He was very loud. Like, he, you know, he had that Sam Kennison vibe, but he wasn't, uh, it wasn't the actual content that he used. wasn't Sam Kennison's Bill Hicks. I think it was. And somebody put up a side-by-side -side YouTube video once and it was word for word. And I watched oh, no. this thing for a half hour 
And I don't think it's up anymore. I looked for it to show somebody once. I don't know if Dennis Leary had it taken down or what, but they were friends before he passed away. And I think Dennis Miller one time got on him for doing that in an interview, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to look all this up again. But yeah, back then, though, I was totally into him. And uh, yeah, the Dice Man and Eddie Murphy. Do you care? Um, this is going to get pretty esoteric here. Bear with my me. My dad, sorry to interrupt you. My dad yeah, was no, totally into Laurel and Hardy and, uh, you know, uh, Abbott and Costello. My dad is like the pun master. And, you know, who's on first is like his. That's a, that's a Jew thing, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> the, just clever puns. Um, Seems like it. So do you remember Millie Vanilli? Oh, yeah. I talk about them a lot, actually. So why, when we were kids, they were dope. And their songs were awesome. And their dancing and their hair and shit. But then when we found out they were lip syncing, I never understood why we hated them. Like, what did we, what do we care? And it's the same thing with like Dennis Leary. If he stole the jokes and Bill Hicks was okay with it, let's say. What do we care? I w- it's like I was, I was tripping on this too. Let's say my I found out my wife. I love my wife so fucking much. She's dope. But what yeah. if I found out when I, I walk out of here and she's fucking taking it in the living room getting fucked? Let's say this podcast ends early and she's getting fucked in the living room. Right. And I'm like, what the fuck? And she's like, I've been doing this since the day I met you. Well, <laughs> what am I supposed to say? Stop doing it? And fuck, like my relationship with her is perfect. Do you know what I mean? Just because I didn't know, now it's like, do you see what I'm kind of trying to reconcile here? Is yeah, it the image of I shit mean, we like? Like what? Like trust me, I don't want to walk out there and see that. Yeah, you know I what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure this podcast goes the distance, so I don't go out there and see what's going on. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it, I mean, help me, help me out. It, was is it frown, frowned upon? Do people hate Dennis Leary for that? I don't think most people know. I mean, he doesn't do comedy anymore. He went into acting and he sort of just, you know, he used that as like, he had some MTV deal going on in the eighties. I remember where he yep, just yep. talked fast and uh, then he started doing stand up, and then he got his show and his movies. And that was pretty much all he did after that. Um, he did the but, fire show, right? That's yeah. That he, was a big one. I think yeah. on FX, right? Yeah. I never saw it, but I, I heard it was his best work. I didn't like him as a kid. I didn't get all, I didn't like Sam Kennison. I was more of a, I was shallow in my humor. I liked um, uh, Andrew Dice Clay, Rodney Dangerfield. They're, they were buddies. Um, yeah. The uh, the whole thing with stealing jokes is a big deal in the comedy community. It is very frowned upon. And I guess if Bill Hicks said publicly, yes, Dennis Leary is going to take over my material before I die, that would be one thing. But I don't know how it actually went down. Um it doesn't matter at this point, but uh, when people catch somebody stealing a joke, they are trying to use somebody's original content and idea to move up higher in the comedy business. And it's just, it's just really frowned upon. It's, it's just, I, I know there's parallel thinking that happens, you know, but when somebody actually is like, you know what? It's like saying, I'm not good enough for this. Let me find somebody who is, and I'll use their stuff. And with Millie Vanilli, it was the first time, like people, you'd they would catch people lip syncing their own songs that they sang in the studio, but this was other people. So they were presenting themselves as being these talented singers that wrote these songs, and it was really people that were not as good looking as them that yeah. couldn't 
that couldn't make it to the top because that's how the entertainment industry is, especially back then. Um, and, you know, a lot of people just and imagine that happening now, because back then the word wasn't spread with Twitter and all this other crap. It would just it would be on fire right now. This was just it had to get to the news first, you know, and yeah. it had leaked and it was just a big deal. I don't know. I don't. I, love I think one of those time. dudes killed themselves, Brian. Can you pull those guys up, Caleb? I think they did, right? One of the guys, Millie, one or of them definitely killed themselves. Yeah, killed himself. Um, and, and you think it, he did it because of that? That shit got revealed. Well, I do think he had. Uh, I think he had some mental um, issues on top of that, and that compounded with the social aspect of being ridiculed so much and being labeled as a, you know plagiarist slash loser slash no talent. And then they tried to do it themselves and it sounded like crap. And it just, it's depressing, especially when you're on top of the world and, you know, people don't get, um, I get, well, shit, maybe we just uncovered something. I guess there is, there's always been kind of a, a cancel culture. I guess it was different. Um, vanilla ice was dope. My kids love vanilla ice. And then he was here today and then gone tomorrow or same with, uh, MC hammer. He had a, he, I guess MC hammer kind of exploded then left with, but then came back with too legit to quit. Remember kind of made a little yeah, run with that. Totally. I, I was totally into vanilla ice. I was totally into MC hammer and it's the same sort of thing. You know, if, uh, it's just, here's the thing when you're on top People want to bring you down if 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 there's a reason. I never want my wife to get off when she's on top. By the way, can you use the word <laughs> almost? Almost when you're on top, almost everyone. But go on, sorry. Yeah, no, but I think you know with Vanilla Ice that was like a studio project. Like I don't think I think he had a one hit wonder situation. If he would have had another hit as big as the first one, he would have lasted. But instead. He stole the David Bowie riff and he went to court and he was proven wrong and ding, 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 ding. Everyone hates you, you know, like it's just that's just how it was. And with MC Hammer, IRS problems, he just spent so much money, but everyone is crew Mercedes and all this other stuff. And next thing you know, can't do can't touch it again because that's, a you know, it, it all of his songs sounded similar except for that one. And it just got old and. Everyone started not liking him because he was pop rather than, you know, hard, gangster. gangster raps came in and they were like, FMC Hammer, that's all sellout shit. And yeah, there's people's perception just shifts pretty quickly. It's crazy. Damn. And social media makes it even worse now. Like you hear Damn. one person complaining and you think it's the whole world. You know your pop culture. Especially from back then. It's, um, I, I, I think the, um, I personally think the move when people come at you is to basically just stand your ground or, or make fun of yourself, but never apologize. Yeah. And, and, and I never is a bit harsh, never is a bit harsh, but, but you should, but, but you should never run it. <sighs> if you get me too, you got to apologize. <laughs> yeah. I got me too. I got oh, me too. Wow, what happened? Yeah. Um, I had this, so I had a podcast over at CrossFit Inc. This will excite you maybe a little bit. So when I started working at CrossFit, there were 300 gyms. And when I left, there were 15,000 gyms. And it was the fastest wow. growing chain in the history of the planet. There's never been more. A faster growing chain. 
And in, 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 in faster than Starbucks, faster than Apple, faster than Subway, and faster than McDonald's. In that short, in the short ten or fifteen year period, it exploded. There was a point where we were opening a gym every five gyms an hour, twenty four hours a day, somewhere on the planet. And I was the chief marketing officer there. I was the executive director of their media. Everything forward facing that the entire world saw, I was in charge of. Anyway, flash forward to 2018. Um, my listeners have heard the story a million times, so I'll try to make it kind of quick. Um, they, um, the, the, the owner decided to do a big change within the company, big changes in the company. And I was the right-hand man to the owner. And unfortunately, most of those changes came in media, and that's what I ran. At a big, huge, mass media department, ESPN shows, uh, all the YouTube's massive social media, all that shit. We were in 162 countries, uh, seven continents, right? All seven continents, even Antarctica. So, uh, I had a podcast there, and I was very, I was, I was like this on the podcast, just how I am now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, so I would have women on, and I would bring up, to- I would have women, men, whoever on, and I would bring up topic, like all sorts of topics, like you're a professional athlete. Do you have sex during the week of the competition? Do you, what about your menstrual strike cycle? Do you try to, because you know how women like cycle together? So, do you yeah. try to get with women who are cycling at a time that your menses won't come during the games? What if you do, do, do come in the games? What advice do you have on the products? And it was kind of funny talk, but it was fucking serious talk talk it's real talk right like that's yeah. got to be fucking a serious issue for professional female athletes any any female anytime they deserve the respect to have it openly talked about anyway so then my 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 boss uh right before the 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 so-called pandemic hit the thing that kills fat people that they call a virus um i know you didn't like that sorry sorry brian um uh no you're okay with that okay um they, my, my boss, um, was selling the company and the New York times did a massive hit piece on him. And, uh, in there, they gave me a paragraph where they reviewed one of my podcasts and they basically left it very ambiguous, but they said that I was misogynistic. And I said all this bad shit about women. But they never even, they never interviewed me. They never interviewed any of the women who were on the podcast. Those women actually came out and defended me, but it didn't matter. Right. When the new did owners they put got any quotes out that you said, or they no, just no, fuck no, fuck no fucking cowards I mean, and i blasted that bitch on the the lady what's her name at the new york times i spent two weeks on my on my instagram account just going after her <laughs> like like doing funny shit like oh she has two jewish boys i have three jewish boys oh she has a jewish boy named avi i have a jewish boy named avi oh your jewish boy likes to play tennis my jewish boy likes to play t- you know that kind of shit mm-hmm. just like just creeping anyway so basically so then the new owners bought it and they said i was part of the toxic culture and poof i'm gone yeah thank you ah here oh yes thank you katherine katherine rossman my girl my girl and and it's just what's crazy is it's just an article of ambiguity and that's the part that sucks because then yeah. you because then everyone and this was right when the um Harvey Harvey Weinschnitzel shit was out, and so fucking everyone was going and that that guy who was the guy who who banged his secretary over his desk over at ABC or Matt Matt Lauer that crazy shit was out. So if they just wrote something ambiguous, everyone would fill in the blanks. It ended up being great for me. The 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 this podcast is fucking gigantic. We have 3 to 500,000 downloads a week. I'm having a blast. Um awesome. Yeah, so I'm 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 I have a loving family. But anyway, um Do you know the origins of me talking about that? Where we started? Me? 
Yeah, you, Brian Monner. Origins of what we, what, what, which why, why I went off on that. Um, I would like to, I would like to tie it in a full circle. I just started going down that road of why. How I think I, I said canceled. something about being me too, and you said I was me too. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said if you me too, you have to say sorry, and I didn't. Yeah. Because exactly. I didn't need to anything. I spent 15 years. I was raised by a mom who was the first woman to go to her night law school, the first woman to graduate from there. Um, I, I spent 15 years glorifying women. I've, I, I get beaten by women and workouts all the time in the CrossFit community. I love women. I respect the fuck out of women. To do that to me was fucking nuts. Or shall I say I don't disrespect women. So I gotcha. treat them. Yeah. Anyway. How about the guy who um, the teacher at NYU? James Franco. Oh, yeah. I, I've heard about that situation. I guess he was uh, going after the students. Well, he got me too. In the article I read, he got me too by his girlfriend of a year who he – I guess they were in a car together, and she said, will you go down on me? And um, she said she felt pressure because he was famous, but they had been boyfriend and girlfriend for a year. But I yeah. guess one of the and, – and that's tough. And then I also heard that he had a, an amazing movie come out right when he got Me Too that he probably would have been nominated for Academy Award. That shit's heartbreaking. Yeah, there's some people that have taken the whole thing a little too far. I was on Facebook once and this girl was like talking about the three times she got raped. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then the first story was the first story was I was with my boyfriend at a party and he said, let's go have sex in the bathroom. And I told him no. And then. Later in the party, he goes, let's go have sex in the bathroom. And I told him no. And then a little bit later in the party, she was like, he was like, come on, let's have sex in the bathroom. She's like, okay. And that was the first rape story. Because she got felt pressured. Yeah. And he wasn't famous either. He was just her boyfriend. It was just a dude. So I was like, you know, there's a point. Look, I believe women and I believe too. a lot of, you know, but when you, when they start considering three you know, you know, inquiries to have sex with your boyfriend that you've been with and you finally say yes, you could have said no a third time. You could have dumped him. You made the choice to go in the bathroom. And that's where that's a line where I'm just like, OK, ladies, sometimes sometimes this gets a little nuts. Bruce, that is correct. I did get shit canned. Thank you for the, um, the, the poignant. Um... <laughs> yeah, there was the Indian comic. Also, the girl accused him of of. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but but he let he left her house and she invited him back, and I'm like, wait, can't do that. Yeah, but but the then but then they come back crazy. with the yeah, that was crazy. Um, yeah. I I had Hans Kim on. Do you know who that is? Hans Kim. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a comic out of Austin. His claim to fame is there's a comedy show there. It's on YouTube. Kill Tony. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And he was on. Oh, here he is, Hans. Thank you, Caleb. Do you know this yeah. guy? Tony Hinchcliffe. That's the one of the guys I was telling you about earlier that moved to Rogue to Austin, just, you know, where Rogan is. Okay. Um, I don't know him. Okay. So I had him on, and he, he was saying in his early days, he was living in a van in New York City, and he would do up to four shows a day. Is that, is that, I can't even get my head wrapped around it. Did, oh, yeah. That, New York comics new york comedy they've got comedy uh you can get up like four to six places in a night from what i've heard i've never done it because i live out here but um yeah the, i i've heard L, uh, la is a little different in that aspect where you can get up you know normally like two or three at the most uh 
But in New York, it's like there's this place has a bar that does comedy. And then right next to it is a club and you can pop in there. And it's just they just moved from one to the next and you can get a bunch of spots. in if you organize it right. And do you do you ever do multiple sets in a night? Yeah. Um, not as often as a New York comic, but uh, here and there. Yeah, they definitely they will overlap. Um, and with traffic out here, it's a little harder. Maybe the subway helps out there. But um you know, getting from somewhere to in Hollywood to a place in Santa Monica or Venice, it takes, you know, an hour. So it's difficult to do it out here um, if you don't really plan ahead and know when your spots are. And and sometimes they don't know when your spot is till the day of the show. So it's, it's, it's a little more challenging, I think. Do you like it? Doing more than one spot or just doing comedy? You, well, both. But let's go with more than one spot first. Yeah, you you want as much stage time as you can get when you're a stand-up. Um, it's it becomes, I don't know if I'd call it an addiction. I'm sure for some it is, but you just you just want to do it as much as possible and get your face out there and work on your stuff as much as possible. That's just you know if you're gonna do it, have a good work ethic, work ethic with it. That's the way to try and get it done. What if, what if, like, um, a, a friend of mine who I spoke to today who's a comic in LA, I asked him if he knew, I, I brought up this guy, um, Craig, Craig Cook Conant. Yeah, yeah. And I brought him up to him and I said, hey, this guy has a podcast. And, um, and, and this friend of mine said, oh, yeah, he's really hot right now. He's doing, he's doing good right now. But I don't think that, um, I don't think that podcast is helping him. That Conant is so hot right now. Um, that's no, I don't Zool- think that pod. I don't think that podcast has helped. <laughs> that was a Zoolander quote. Like, oh, you, oh, like, sorry, say, sorry. That console's so hot right uh, now. Oh, and I don't uh, mean to. I don't mean to dig on your friend. I'm just talking about the fact. So, like, is it really good to keep getting? Like, would it be better not to just spend some time really working on material? Um, well, people look at a podcast when you're in comedy as uh, almost necessary to some degree. I wouldn't say necessary, but it's it's something that a lot of them want to do because look what Rogan did and look what Whitney did. And it's just something that you can uh, have a side income on because sometimes you're not getting the spots you want and you want to have multiple, you know, you know, place to tell people where you're going to be performing. And if, if the podcast has a good clip that goes viral, you might get more followers to see uh. on, on, the, on the road. And um, yeah, when I've done a show two or three times and every time we get to a point where he's just like, I'm like, do you have any questions? You know, he doesn't, have a plan usually. And I, 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 he, he's very aware of that. Uh, but I guess that's just how he runs his thing. You know, he just kind of, just like get my buddy in here and we'll chat. If, it, if there's a lull because we didn't plan, then that's just how it is. So I don't know. It's, it's his thing. And I, you know, when he wants me to do it, I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah. You're a cool dude. It seems like a, uh, almost like a meditative practice or like a CrossFit workout and patience and being comfortable with silence and stillness. It's like a fucking Vipassana course in there. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've, I haven't really watched too many episodes. I'll, I'll watch a clip if he puts it on Instagram, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, I, I, both times I was just like, what else? <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you carried it. You carried the podcast. Right. You carried the podcast. Hey, well, who's Whitney? She, she's a comic who has a big podcast. Uh, Whitney Cummings, she's a, yeah, she's a very big comic and she's had multiple hour specials and she had a show on NBC called Whitney that Chris D'Elia co-starred in. And she was one of the creators of Two Broke Girls, executive producer. Um, And she's got a real big podcast with lots of, you know, big names on it every week. And yeah, she does my show a lot. 
Uh, what uh, what do you mean she does your show a lot? What show? I actually, you know, I run the stand-up show, so she oh. she performs a lot on my shows. Yeah, there she is. She's had Paris Hilton on and lots of big names. A lot of the big comics, Bruce, you know, uh, Bill Burr and all those peeps. And she was naked in the bathtub. You skipped right over <laughs> that. You skipped right over that, Caleb. Let's see that one. Oh, yeah, that's a great picture. What? How convenient. She's washing her boob right when the picture was taken. Oh, man, what are the odds? Look at Lance Armstrong. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Um, so how do you, how do you finally decide that you, how do you decide you're going to be a comic? How old are you? And, and, and can you kind of walk me through the, the, those first couple steps that you're like, I'm going to do this. Cause I always wanted to be a comic, but I never, I never wanted to be a comic, I guess. Yeah. I, I always wanted to, as soon as I saw the people we mentioned earlier, like Eddie Murphy and Dice, I used to go see Dice whenever he was in town. I saw him at the Greek theater. I saw him in Vegas multiple times. Um, and how old were I, you then? Shit, man, probably early 20s. Okay. So you didn't know when you were a kid. You weren't like eight being like, oh, I'll tear this shit up. No, when I was eight, I probably wanted to be, I don't know, what was, how old, what what year was that? 1979? I probably wanted to be a veterinarian like every other kid or, you know, an astronaut. Um, And then I wanted to be a rap star because of the Beastie Boys and Run DMC. And then I wanted to be a comic because of Eddie Murphy and Dice. And um, I was like, I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to an open mic. I'm going to do it. And I, I bought that book by Judy Carter, um, you know, the stand up comedy Bible or whatever. And it's like, it said, don't do it at a, co- don't do it at a comedy club the first time you do it. And I was like, why? You know, I started going to all these open mics just to watch. And she's like, go to a coffee shop. And I went to the coffee shops and there was no one there and nobody was laughing. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's the book. The, uh, the the Bible I don't think was out. I think I, I got the stand up comedy the book that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she still that. alive? Brian? Yeah, I actually met her. Um, and she's more of a public speaker. I think she teaches public speaking to people now, and uh, that's a pretty pretty lucrative business if you can get corporate gigs doing public speaking. Um, you just gotta, you know, her big thing is specialize in one subject and make it entertaining, and you know, get in there and you know, but. Uh, I went to these coffee shops like she, she suggested and I was watching and I was just like, I don't want to do it here because I won't know if I'm good because no one's laughing. So I, 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 I didn't listen and I went to the Laugh Factory and I was so nervous, man. I was just like, I went to Disneyland the day before intentionally because I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep. I was like, I got to like use a lot of energy this day, man. I was like walking around Disneyland in the heat. And yeah, I bombed real hard the next day. You get three minutes at the Laugh Factory and uh, it's mostly comics watching and they don't want you to be dirty. And I'm, you know, not exactly the cleanest comedian. And it was just really weird. But uh, my first joke was just so horrible. It was just so bad. I, ha- I have it on MP3 and I will not listen to it. Yeah, I think I know what it is. Hold on. Let me see cringe. If I- yeah, I've talked about it before online, but. Maybe I, but a friend of my, a friend Maybe of I decided. Life. Go ahead. A friend of mine and I might be starting a podcast soon, and we're going to talk to comedians and uh, listen to their earliest set that they have recorded and see what they think, and you know, try to get them to play their earliest material. Um, so are you going to Are you going to open with yours? I don't know. Maybe someday I'll get it in there. It's hey, just is, so bad. Is the Laugh Factory still doing that? Is that how people get their start? They do three minutes up. They have a, a one night a week or one night a month. Tell me how that works. Well, back then in the 90s, Jamie Masada, the owner of the Laugh Factory, would watch every single 
I thought that was a Band-Aid this whole time. No, you know, it's something that fell off my chair when I jumped into my chair. Like some, I don't know what <laughs> I'm it like, is. he's got a cool black Band-Aid on. <laughs> um, so Jamie Masada, the owner of the Laugh Factory, he would sit and watch every open mic every Tuesday. And afterwards, he would tell you, he, you know, he would get people deals. Like back then it was sitcom, you know, it was the whole sitcom boom. And all he was looking was for the next Jerry Seinfeld. And he wanted everyone to be clean and he would give you suggestions on your set. And it was, you know, the first time I did it, it was just horrible, but he still was like, you, you know, you, you're not going to be on TV with a sitcom with that type of material. If you could do some clean material next time, you know, that was his big thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say you're going to make it because of doing an open mic, um, but you might be able to get a spot and it's the, it's, it's where everyone starts. So that's just how it is with this biz. And how old were you again when you did that? Uh, 1998, I was like 20, I was born in 71. So 81, 91, 27. And, and, and then, and then what was your next move after that? So then I started doing a couple bringer shows. There was a guy, he just passed Uh. away recently actually. Um, you know, he worked at the uh, small room at the ice house in Pasadena and he would give you like all these blue cardboard tickets. And I remember Melissa Villasenor, who's on Saturday Night Live now, used to do that show with me. Um, and, uh, she, you know, he's like, sell as many tickets as you can. Let's get a crowd in here and started doing that. Um, but it didn't take off for me until I started running my own shows. Um, it's just I, I don't think. What does I that was- mean? You keep using that and that confuses me. What does that mean when you run your own shows? It means that you're the headliner. So like it's Brian Monarch. And then there's like, and then you have to, you talk to other comics to come underneath you to open. For no, you? I'm a, I, I'm a comedy show producer is the best way to say it or slash booker. You know, uh-huh. I'll, I'll, I'll hit up all these big names every week and be like, Hey, can you do Tuesday or Thursday? Like right before I got on here, I texted Damon Wayans and I was like, Hey man, you around next week. So, oh, and, and then you'll also perform in that set also. Yeah. In that. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. And that's how I got better. Honestly, the first, 10 years i i wasn't good i just i mean i'd get laughs but it was it it took i wasn't one of these people that was just like naturally supposed to be a stand-up comic if you were to ask me frankly um i uh you know i've i've grown and i definitely kill now and i you know am really good but uh it took a lot of time so it was sort of like because of being thrown in there the way i threw myself in there. It just happened over time and it took many, many years. Um, doing the bringer thing sounds horrible to me because those are the people like even this podcast, my mom listens to it and I have to, and I'm fucking 50. I have to yeah. pretend like she doesn't. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like I can't fun, be, man. What, what say that bringer shows. They're not fun. I used to run them. And, uh, you know, you got these comics that complain, like, I can't get people out anymore. I've, 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 you know, I've, you know, what do you call it? Uh, shot my wad with all my friends and, you know, and, uh, they've all seen me and, you know, it gets to the point where you just can't do that. It's just, you know, unless you figure out a brand, everyone's a bringer comic. Think about it. Like Louis CK is not going to get a spot at the improv unless his fans want to come see him. He doesn't right. have to reach out to them at this point. Right. You graduate to a point where you're bringing people because of your fame. Um, right. But it's all about demand and selling tickets. All they care about is filling those seats up. And if you right. can't do it because of your fame, find another way. And my way was to run shows. And luckily, it uh, it's turned into a cool career. And I've gotten a lot better because of it. So 
that's that's how I how I did it. Did you have a breakthrough moment where you got free from your parents? Free from my parents? Yeah, I'm projecting onto you. I'm making the presupposition that you went through what I went through. It, it's this. It's this. Um, you know, there's there's. At, at 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 25 i don't tell I, I don't i don't make the comment of my wife being in there fucking getting railed by the plumber while i'm in here doing a uh, a podcast with you but at 50 i do like finally i'm just like fuck it still not comfortable knowing my mom's listening right but but um but like like this break like and, and your mom's kind of the most um but but it's but it's anyone you know what i mean like i don't want to tell this joke around my black friend i don't want to tell this joke around my jewish friend i don't want to tell this joke around my fucking girlfriend i don't want to tell this joke is there a moment where you just have to like i mean because the creativity ha- the on some levels creativity really flourishes under a pressure cooker right hey here's a piece of paper here's a pencil these are your limited tools go you yeah. know or bill cosby do whatever you want but no swearing or whatever but on another hand you have to be free yeah free is fucking you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Was there a moment for you that you realized that, or does this not apply to you at all? It doesn't apply to me as much as it sounds like it applies to you, but I did. My parents would come to shows, you know, um, in the earlier days as well. And uh, they, I didn't, I didn't censor myself. So I, I didn't have that issue. I kind of thought it was kind of funny, like saying these things in front of my mom, you know, this Jewish lady who, Bry, you know, it's just like, that's the reaction that you, that's the worst it would get. But it's, I, I don't have the kind of parents that would be like, if you're not going to be a lawyer, then just, I'm not going to, you know, it's, it wasn't ever like a situation where they didn't approve. They were kind of like, do what you want to do, which is great. You know, with parents, a lot of, you know, my grandma wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor. I heard that growing up all the time. You know, that's just how it is with some of your, uh, elders. So, but I never felt too much pressure, uh, you know, you know how it is both with Jewish parents that are extra neurotic, like go play paint guns with my friends when I'm growing up and you're going to shoot your spine. You guys know, you know, it was just like, it was always something, but it was just kind of like, I'm going, sorry, you know, <laughs> but Do you, uh, yeah. you have siblings. Yeah. I have uh, one younger brother who's actually, uh, um, he was pretty big in the raw food world for a while. And I have an older brother who's mentally handicapped. So what's your older brother got? Um, when he was born, his, um, the part that, com- that, uh, come, what do you call it? That communicates the right side of the brain with the left side of the brain. I think the corpus callosum, if I'm not mistaken. Oh it yes. The corpus callosum. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't connecting the right side and the left side and he's severely mentally handicapped. And uh, he's in a special, you know, place. He could talk, um, you know, he's, you know, he, he's just very, it's almost like when you talk to him, it's almost like talking to like a, yeah. Um, it's almost like talking to a corpus callosum. There we go. Um, it's like talking to a very young kid. How much older, older is he than you? Four years. I'm in the middle, four years on both sides. Did you grow up with him in the house? Um, until he was 16. And at that point, my, my mom, um, couldn't really do it anymore. She, uh, found a place for him that could handle the situation better. Yeah. That's, a, um, that is a, so, so I worked in a home for, uh, mentally disabled adults for five years. I not only worked there, I lived there. I lived yeah. in the driveway in my motor home. I ran the home. I came in there as a barefoot hippie. And, the, and I, um, when I left there five years later, I was running the home with 20 employees and there were eight adults there. I was very close to them, obviously. And yeah. uh, uh, the and I made a movie called um, Our House, which won 
30 film festival awards the year it came out and the state got really, really upset with me. They said, Hey, this is a horrible portrayal of mentally disabled people, adults. And all the parents came to my aid. They're like defense. They're like, but this is real. This shit ain't easy. Yeah. It's not, it's not fucking easy. And one of the craziest things was, or one of the most intense things was, is they knew that they were mentally disabled. They had self-awareness of that. And that that always broke my heart. Oh, you don't know if he does. Okay. That always broke my heart. Um, I think he, I, yeah. I'm, were they, were they mentally disabled from birth? Those people, all of them, except one, one of them got in a motorcycle accident and that shit was fucking crazy. That yeah, shit was sad. fucking hard. Yeah. All of it was, all of it was heartbreaking, but you know, there were, there were, there were, there was a, a woman there with down syndrome and a man there with down syndrome and another one with alcohol fetal syndrome, or is it fetal alcohol syndrome? But you get the point. And they, mm-hmm. they, all they wanted was just to have just a normal life. Yeah. They wanted to be with people who weren't disabled. They wanted to have relationships with people who weren't disabled and it was fucking hard. Yeah. It, it broke, it broke my heart. Growing up, you don't really, you know, it's just, it was just my life. You know, I didn't really right. think about it, but it was more of an, he was, he's very loud and he has to talk to everybody. And it was more, you know, I guess I, I felt embarrassed when I was a kid, you know, because everyone was staring and stuff like that. So it was difficult growing up with a mentally handicapped brother, but he was happier than anyone, you know? So right. uh, he, he was, uh, he didn't have those hangups because I think people that have down syndrome have a different perspective than he does. I think he's just, he's like a kid and he just always has been and always will be, I think, and doesn't really grasp those sorts of things like relationships or, you know, that must've scared the shit out of your parents when they had another, well, I guess they had two more kids. They couldn't have been that scared, but like I had my first kid at 43 and now I have three kids and my wife was 39 when we started. And one Uh of the things that, you know, I was like, Hey, let's have some more. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? We're old as dirt. You want to roll the dice again? I'm like, (laughs) good point. I mean that that's, that's, that's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it has on on my end. I feel like it's a, it, we're Ashkenazi Jews. So, you know, there's a lot of genetic mutations from our history going on. And, uh, I think he got hit hard with that. I have a couple issues myself, um, but nothing like that. And I think my my younger brother does too. And we didn't know any of this stuff growing up. It's all coming to light, you know, as of recent. So it's just, uh, have you been, did you get yourself 23 and mead? Yeah. Did you use a fake name? No, Damn I don't it. worry about that stuff. Okay, good. You're a good. Whitney dude. Cummings about- has a funny joke about that. Actually, speaking of Whitney Cummings, she's you know she talks about how like everyone's trying to like you know don't you know don't share your data, protect your data. Da, 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 da. She's like, we used to have people throw big books with our home addresses on it at everyone's. The bit is longer, but it's it's really funny and it really makes me think like yeah. I don't. My I have friends that are very careful. They won't get an Alexa. And blah, blah, blah. I don't. I'm not too worried about it. I just think if I'm if, I, if I'm that important that they they need to find shit out about me, they'll they'll use my iPhone somehow. You know. I I was just thinking the fact that you I've heard the stories of like the uncle getting busted for something because the nephew got it got you know 23 meet and we we 23 meet our uh, one of our kids and what's crazy is I was with my wife for 20 years I mean obviously I knew she was Jewish but I didn't know she was Ashkenazi and and I'm I'm all Armenian both my parents are Armenian so the kid kid came back uh 51 percent basis. 
Shad love him. Shonana Golem. Do you hate Armenians living in LA? No, I used to work in Burbank though, so I just know Barevich Basis very well. Oh, thank they you. They thought I was Armenian when they come into the store and they'd say that I worked at Circus City and they'd be like, Barevich Basis. I'd be like, I, I don't know what you mean. Like, oh, let me let me go. My cousin works here. I'll I'll use him instead. Lose <laughs> a lot of sales to the Armenian salespeople out there. I'm from Everyone's Northern California. I'm from Northern California. The first time I went down there to Glendale and I like went into a Safeway or some shit and everyone there spoke Armenian. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Cause they don't yeah. even know what Armenians are in Northern California. Like they don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Um, they just think you're related to Osama bin Laden. That's it. <laughs> um, Whitney Cummings, the, Oh, 23 and me. So, so, um, basically we, we got them tested and, and that, that is the joke I say. The kids are, the kids are just like, they're half Armenian, half Ashkenazi and mm -hmm. anything that's like weird about them. I just blame like, well, fucking you're, you're inbred. But I think the Armenians are pretty inbred <laughs> too. They were kind of mountain people too, really yeah. stuck in the Caucasus over there. And yeah, my girlfriend is Persian and she thinks she's, uh, inbred to some degree. We, we constantly make fun of ourselves with this stuff, but, uh, it's a tight community. Yeah, I mean, how about those Icelandic people? Three hundred thousand people stuck on an island together. Yeah, they're all related. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how the gene pool is over there. It seems to be working. Yeah, there you go. You rapped with Queen Latifah. My listeners don't even know who that is. At, <laughs> at Circuit City. Yeah, I mean, she was in there, and my uh, my I, listeners don't even know what Circuit City is. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, totally. Circuit City is a uh, an electronic store like Best Buy that was around in the '90s, big time, and uh, you know, this whole Amazon thing and everything, you know, put a lot of those places out of biz. But uh, Queen Latifah was a famous rapper, now actress, and she came in and she was buying a TV, and I was helping her, and I was like, "I rap," and she's like, "Let's hear what you got," and I did like this standard one minute rap that I did for everybody, and she's like, "Oh, you should make a demo," and I was like, "Thanks." Did you but, do Big Mac, Filet, a fish, quarter pounder, French fries? No, cook, I made my own shakes, Sunday. Do you know that I one? Do you know that material, rap? dude. I don't steal material. <laughs> you stole Whitney Cummings a little bit. Ah, you gave her credit. <laughs> Always give them credit if you're going to tell someone else's joke. Do you, do you remember the rap you did? Yeah. Can you can you do it for us? Um, sure. It yes. went. Uh, you're in my palace, motherfucker, bow down. I'm head of staff. I'm your king. You're my jester. I command you make me laugh. I'm laughing at your face, punk. I don't mean to diss, but subtract the B from bass, and that's what you can kiss. You want to beat me? Keep sleeping on that dream. I'm a 99-ton iceberg. You're a molecule of steam. So just step back and get the fuck out my face, because I'm the woofer. You're the tweeter. You're the treble. I'm the bass. I only got one line left. Remember, you've been warned. Just like a killer bee on your face, my lyrics swarmed. Booyah. Booyah. Wow. That was my one-minute rap that I did for everyone back then. Wow. Was the beef um, uh, inspired by the Where's the Beef Lady? No. Um, but the Killer Bee was my rap name. I called myself Killer Bee. That's where I got that at the end. And like uh, you, Killer B. you know who you sounded like? You sounded like... The rapper out of New York. The rapper out of New York. Snake the Snake liked my rap. He was, he did. He was um, LL Cool J's. Um, what's I went called? to LL Cool J's concert in Hollywood 
and I gave him an envelope with that wrap in it and a letter saying how much I admire him and da 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 da. He took it. And I don't know if you ever read it. Oh, it, like it was penned out. It wasn't like a C. You didn't burn it onto a CD. You saying it? No, I wrote it out. I go, hey man, I love writing lyrics. If I'd love to work with you someday, you know, whatever I was doing at eighteen, I just like. I was just like, I wrote him a little letter, put it in a sealed envelope, and I gave it to him. I wonder, uh, I'm looking at New York City rappers. Oh, it's just all recent ones. Man, Jake you know. Makes as Biggie Smalls? No, no, way, way before him. Like when, when LL Cool J sung I'm Bad. I love Darn. that song. That's like my one of my favorite songs of his. Um, yeah. Did you do, then, when he does the shark, did you used to go like this? Like do the shark part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My hat is like a shark's fin. Yeah. Oh, bad. God, he's so good. I remember Arsenio Hall had him on, and he was like, man, that Oreo cookie line, I just don't know where you get this stuff from. And um, he does my show a lot, Arsenio. No, he's still around? Oh, yeah. He was just in Coming to America, too, and he does stand-up comedy. He's great. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met, actually. He met my dad. Man, dude, I will never forget this. I brought my dad to a show at the Improv, and... My dad is obsessed with Eddie Murphy movies from the 80s, you know, and when is twins going to – he wanted, he heard, he heard they're going to make a, a, a twin sequel, and Eddie Murphy was going to be like the triplet, and it was going to be called Triplets, and that was in production, pre-production for a while. But anyway, so my dad is with me, and he, he Arsenio Hall is there, and he's like, is it true they're going to make it Beverly Hills Cop 4? Is it true they're going to do this? And he's asking all of these Eddie Murphy questions. Here's my girlfriend. Hey, hey girl. babe. Hey. Just on Inch, a podcast. Inch Bessis. She's not Armenian. She's Persian. Hey, hey, we're all the same. We're just fucking <laughs> from the desert. Come on. Um, so anyway, my, da- my dad goes up to Arsenio Hall, and he just starts asking all of these Eddie Murphy questions. Beverly Hills Cop 4. Um, you know, all these different things. And finally, I go, Dad, come on. You know, like, leave him alone. He doesn't want to answer questions about Eddie Murphy. And Arsenio goes, no, 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 no. These are great questions. Let him finish. And my dad, and I was like, wow, this is a nice guy you know like he's just the nicest guy and he he answered every eddie murphy question like he really cared and maybe he did and that was awesome and are him and eddie murphy are they pretty tight they must be i mean they're still making movies together he just did that coming to america 2 and they did harlem nights coming to america 1 so yeah they're 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 friends from the, the the back in the day do you have a favorite comic do comics have favorite comics yeah i mean it's, it's a hard thing to answer because so many have made me laugh over the years. Um, I really liked Amy Schumer's first special. Um, I've always had a place. There's always been a place in my heart for Dice. I mean, you know, it's just something that's just, you know, from my 20s. Um, but, you know, Louis C.K. is amazing. Bill Burr. Um, there's so many. There's just so many. What about Tosh? I love Tosh. Yeah. 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 I'm, 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 um, he's my favorite. Yeah. And, and, and here's why, like a lot of people will, would say like Dave Chappelle, but I, yeah. but, I, but there's stuff of Dave Chappelle does that I just really don't like that. I just don't yeah. think is funny, but man, I, 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 I think just Tosh is just funny just to look at, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just think he's just. Tosh does it like the Beastie Boys, man. He'll make a quality album or special every three or four years. He doesn't come out with four Netflix specials in a you know in a month like Chappelle does. So it's good finely point. Good crafted. Point. Yeah, good it's point. finely crafted, and he makes sure every joke is going to hit. And 
he's just a master of left turns and shock humor. And I love watching him. He's one of my favorites too. And he seems like he'll go anywhere. Like, uh, oh yeah, he doesn't care. He'll, he'll, he'll talk go, about anything. Yeah. He'll go anywhere. And I, and I yeah. just really like that. Um, yeah. what about when, um, who's the guy who did the Academy Awards and he just kept saying, I don't care. I don't care. Rick, um, Ricky Gervais. Is that who it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky Gervais. I think he did that a couple few years ago. Was that him? Is that him, Caleb? Um, that tactic that he had where he would just fucking, he was just dropping nukes. Yeah, yeah. But then say, I don't care. I'm not coming back. I don't care. I'm not. Yeah, this cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him. That was, um, I thought that was a brilliant tactic. I don't care. I'm not like, I'm not like, almost like, that wasn't part of the bit. That was a mo- like, like almost like that. Like you could see how maybe that came organically. Like, like he knew. Yeah. And people love rebellious people that don't want to listen to the man. And that's just what people like to see sometimes, man. That's how, you know, I, I equate comedy to wrestling sometimes. I don't know if you're a wrestling fan, but like back in the day, I saw WrestleMania one in the audience. Oh, wow. yeah. 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 I, I got saw into it starting at WrestleMania two. Um, with Hulk Hogan fighting King Kong Bundy in that blue cage. But um, yeah, yeah, I saw that one and you couldn't even watch it at home on your TV. You had to like go to an auditorium where they projected it on a closed circuit TV with like thousands. Is that how you did it? Like at a high school gym? I think I got mine on VHS or something. Back oh, then. okay. Yeah, I used to go see them live and we'd have to like travel, but, but mm. you still watch it on a screen. It was nuts. Yeah. And then he fought Andre the giant at WrestleMania three. And I think pay-per-view just blew up at that point. You just said, you know, watched it on your TV at home. But, uh, yeah, um, I just kind of look at, you know, there's, it's just like every entertainment business like that has tiers of people. Like, you know, you got The Rock and John Cena and Hulk Hogan at the top. And those are people that are creative and they can talk well on the mic and they're good physically in the ring. And then you got people that are good at one or the other, you know, and they don't make it to the top like that. And that's how comedy is too, you know, like there's people that are great with their mind and they're not such a showman, you know, uh, yeah. other people that are really good showmans, but their content isn't as creative. So when you have both, like, you know, some of these superstars, like Sebastian Maniscalco, I don't know if you know him, but I spoke with him once and I was like, dude, you are one of those guys that has both of those ingredients that are needed. And he's, uh, say his name again, Caleb. I want to see this guy and get him on the podcast for before fucking uh, he's he's pretty big. He's a Sebastian. There he is. He's great. Sebastian Manasquala. Hey, so c- kind of like Conor McGregor for the fighting world. Yeah, exactly. He, got the mouth, he, can, he could fight, and he got the mouth, and he got yeah. the fucking body to and, die for. In that business, you don't need a mouth, you know? But it does help if you're going to start doing, you know, commercials and public, you know. Well, it turned him into, from just like a superstar in the sport, he transcended the sport, right? Exactly. It, it, it's kind of like um, uh, when Kardashian took the dick, she transcended uh, in, 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 the, in the film <laughs> league. She transcended, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I fucking dig her. She's my Armenian peeps. But um, yeah, uh, y- you do something happens in your career, and you transcend your your box, right? Yeah, you got to stand out. You got to have a niche. You got to be something that nobody else is. Otherwise, you're just gonna fizzle away like Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer. <laughs> like another thing, um, I. Every once in a while, I cruise by um, Vanilla Ice's Instagram account. I think I've invited him on the podcast a couple of times. Um, and he's doing good shit. He seems like a cool dude. Anytime I see him interviewed, I feel like I'm talking to like an authentic 
guy. I don't like. He seems like he's a real nice guy. I mean, I mean when yeah. you're in your twenties, you're different than you're going to be in your thirties and forties and fifties. Like yes, you've got sir. this testosterone just bubbling in your head. You're just like kind of angry. At least I, you know, I was kind of angry all the time. And, you know, I wanted to make people laugh, even if it was at someone else's expense, you know, and making right. fun of people was cool, especially in the seventies, you know, and it's just, everything has changed and you kind of, you know, and luckily you grow out of that sort of thing as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like kid being a kid right now would be hard, man. Being in your twenties with all that crap in your head and having to like have BPC. <laughs> but I guess not all of them are. But you know, it just feels like it's such a different world now. If you can tell the truth and defend your position logically, and you have to be able to defend your position logically, the the earth the, the earth is still an amazing place. If you can't defend your your yourself and you have opinions, then you're best off just asking questions. And the earth is a really safe place. But if you're, but if you're one of the, um, unfortunately, you know, I don't know how you were raised, but I was, I was, uh, what's that? Brainwashed is a little too harsh, but I was, um, indoctrinated into an ideological, you know, system. And it wasn't until, you know, my late mid twenties that I started breaking out of that. And it wasn't till, till my forties that I was able to really, really break out until the next level where it's like, okay, if you don't fucking know, just ask questions. And if you do know, really stand by your truth and, and fucking and slay. Yeah. You know? And it's amazing how many people can ask questions. It's amazing. People how many people can admit they don't know something. How many people can, how many people can or can't, can can't. or can't. Yes. They, yes. Yeah. They can't admit they're wrong. It's, yes. I, they can't apologize. I don't understand that, man. I don't have that ego. And I just don't, I don't, I can't, I'm glad I don't, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I need help with something, I'm more than happy to ask. I don't mind not knowing things. And then you, you know, you know, it's just people are, people have weird egos and you know, in this business that I'm in, it's, it's there's a lot of them. So how tall are you? Six, three. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I didn't realize how tall you are, but when you stand next to other people, well, I guess that's how the world works. You make other people look tiny. Yeah, I guess if, uh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I made uh, I made 10 movies. Oh. 10 documentaries. Oh, cool. Produced, directed, shot, all that shit. Been all over the world, shot movies in 100 countries, been to 49 states. And all the continents. I never, which, I never which would. Which state are you missing? Uh, Alaska. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I would never. I never felt comfortable calling myself a director. Never felt so comfortable. I mean, I would probably feel a little more comfortable calling myself producer. I never identified with it. I never like, like. In my point, what I'm getting to in the long winded way is did you do you feel like a comic and was there a moment where you're like holy shit i'm a comic like did you get off a of stage one day or were you writing one day a, a set and you're like oh fuck brian monarch is a fucking comic i think when you're doing it as long as i've been doing it and you see the evolution the the you know when you evolve to getting funnier and funnier and funnier to the point where like people come i'm on these shows with these big names and most nights, somebody will come up to me and be like, you were the funniest one on there. That When you hear that enough and you get that sort of positive reinforcement, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I, I can hold my own with these big names now. And um, I don't know if it was a slow process because I don't think it happened overnight, um, but it got to the point where, you know, I've opened up for Dane Cook in these big, huge theaters and, you know, I've, and, 
he wouldn't have picked me if I wasn't funny. And, you know, I, it's just, you know, you get to a point where you, you finally accept that, uh, okay, you're, you're better than a lot of other comedians. And that's just, it's a, it's a good feeling. Um, there, my moment was I was filming a, uh, a, um, a documentary for a guy who had taken me to Central America somewhere. I can't fucking remember which country, but we we're in Central America. And the way he was t speaking to me, I was like, still didn't make me feel like a director, but I felt like a professional media person. Like he was, he, this guy was so fucking successful and he was asking me fucking questions and answers were coming out of my mouth. And I was having like a kind of this out of body experience where I'm like, holy yeah, shit. I better realization like, Oh, I'm a, I'm I'm looked up to and this guy really respects what I think and I and they, they I'm looked at as somebody who knows what they're doing and yeah I get that honestly I am at the top echelon of comedy booker slash producers not top comedian so which is kind of and you know I want to be a comedian but when comedy clubs talk to me, they have that air of respect and they, you know, like, Hey, you know, like they give me what I want. And, you know, it's gotten to a point where, you know, I, I'm just, I'm the best at that. And it's, cool. Oh, you got me all confused again. God, damn, okay. I thought I was understanding. Okay. Uh, so I need to know exactly what you do. So you are a producer. I get that you, you um, Hey Joe, you want to come perform tonight? Hey, yeah, and, yeah. and, and and you're a booker, so like that means that you interact with the club, the people who have um, uh, ownership of the stage and the facility and the seats in the house, and yeah. you and you're so you're kind of also like an agent. Uh, if I was in, if I was representing one of these guys and getting them on the road gigs and all that, that would be more like an agent, I guess, or manager. But this is just more of a producer slash booker for a couple shows per week and. Um, so there's like, sorry, I need a real example. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're saying that there would be like a club, let's say, um, let's say, uh, I don't, let's say there's a club, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Joe's club and they will be, and you'll go over to them and be like, Hey, um, I see you have Tuesday night open. I got a bunch of people I'm going to bring in. I want 3% of all the door money and, uh, and, and we're good in 3% of drinks or 50%, whatever the deal is. And they say, okay, we'll give you from eight o'clock at night till midnight. And you're like, shit. And then they ask for a deposit from you and you put down 10,000 bucks. And then you're like, okay, Arsino, you want to do this? Dennis, you want to do this? Uh, Corey, you want to do this? Chris, you want to do this? And then they say yes. And then you guys go, but within there, you also perform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the logistics are way different because I have a reputation. So it's not like I have to be like, can I have this Tuesday? It's more like I want every Tuesday and every Thursday. And right. You know, okay. and uh, it's just it's just how it is every month. Will clubs call you too? Like they're like, "Hey, we have a vacancy. Can you fill us up Wednesday?" Um, it's happened, but normally in LA at the big three clubs, Laugh Factory, Comedy Store, Improv, they have lots of things established. Like every Wednesday is Woman Crush Wednesdays in this room, and every Thursday is going to be this guy's show. And Friday we book it ourselves because it's easier to sell out. We don't need a middleman, you know. So it just depends on this, you know, what's going on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they just, I have a, I have a scheduled thing and it's just every week. So I just, uh, hit up people every, every weekend and try to get them on my shows for the week. And, and you have to write new material. I don't have to, the crowd's never usually the same. Um, but I'm okay. always writing, um, and I'm trying to, uh, 
trying to. I mean, that's one of my, it's hard to go up with all these big names and experiment. You know, I always fill in a few jokes, new jokes in the middle, but you don't want to open, <laughs> <laughs> open up with something brand new because you don't know how, how it's going to work, no matter how genius you think it is when you wrote it. So, hey, hey, um, do you have to do you have do you have another few minutes? Yeah, I have another few minutes. Um, they, I have another thing at three. They, they rescheduled it. It was going to be at two thirty, but they made it three. So I need to take a, a 30 second pee break. I need to walk out the door of my office and pee. Do you need to okay, pee? I'll wait for you? OK, cool. Remember the people were live, so don't like start picking your nose or pull your dick out or anything crazy like that. Oh, thank you for warning me. Yeah, no problem. What is with this guy? You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting logo. I'm gonna have to ask him about that logo. Looks like uh, his head on top of a on top of a bell. It's like the meditating man, I think, is what he calls it. Oh, okay. Kind of looks like the Taco Bell logo with his head as the, the handle. <laughs> Bomb. Oh, look at Caleb holding down the house. You're a good dude, Caleb. Did you try out some material on? Did you tell him a knock knock joke, Caleb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we were joking on the logo, looking like a Taco Bell logo. Fuck you guys! <laughs> My dad asked me the other day. He's all, "Is that a, is that a bell?" Fuck! I don't know. It's your son, dude. Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate it. Um, so are there other Brian Monarchs out there? Or is it, or is this a kind of a unique situation? This this like there's not a career. There's have you built this kind of unique role for yourself? Oh, I thought you meant where there literally someone else named my name at first. And there is. And I actually, he actually gave me my Instagram handle, which I did not have at first. And he was so cool about it. Um, This guy named Brian Monarch, he's in Florida. And he goes, just take it. I was like, oh shit. I offered him 50 bucks. He's like, just take it. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, But to the actual question. um, Yeah. There are other producers. Um, There's a, a handful of them here in LA and I mean, the honest truth is the comedy clubs don't want to use us because they'd rather have the whole door and everything, you know. But uh, when you have two rooms, seven shows a week in each room, Comedy Store has three rooms, actually. So there's, you know, two a night in each room. It, it, it's a lot, you know, to book yourself. So you, you do get these promoters, the promoter help. And uh, I built mine up to the point where I think I'm probably the biggest one. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. And that, that and people are probably nicer to you now too because of that. Mm, it depends who you're talking about, but I mean But you know what I mean? Like if you're the guy in high school who has the car, I don't even mean people act like it's so superficial or it's be it's wrong to be nice to the guy who's in control. I don't think it's wrong to be nice to the guy who's in control or who you know, who the guy who pushes the buttons on the elevator. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Right. All, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, I try to get the real famous people on my show so they don't care so much, you know. They they're going to be able to get spots wherever they want, whenever they want, but right. they do know I they do know if they do my show it's going to be sold out and they know it's going to have other good names on it and it's not going to be advertised as 
the Whitney Cummings show, it's going to be Whitney and Dane Cook and Eliza, you know, it's going to be like a bunch of big names. So I think they've, I've uh, earned that, you know. Um, is there anyone, is there anyone you've blackballed? You're like, dude, that motherfucker was an asshole or that dude got too drunk in the back or, okay, that person's on timeout for the next three months. Like, I'm not calling that. Does that shit happen? They were, or they were rude to the owner of the club. I didn't like that. They're fucking with my boss. You know, not really. Uh, it, it's hard with these big name guys, you know, like they're going to do what they want to do. And most of them are nice. And, you know, though, th there might be like, I wouldn't say any names or anything, but there might be certain people where I'm like, yeah, he's a pain in my ass or, you know, I don't like what he did, but it's just a game you got to play, unfortunately, or else I might not have a comic one week and he's available and he's still a big draw. So I got to, you know, play the game with that person and act like we're, you know, best buddies or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, most of them are honestly no problem to work with and they're nice and it's not usually an issue. Hey, um, Caleb, can you pull up um, the guy who wrote the book mask? I have him coming on, on the 25th, Eli it's it, in, in the calendar. It says Eli Michael, but that's not his last name. It's Eli Weeby. Do you know who does that name ring a bell, Brian? Yeah, he invented the cotton gin. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> that was good. Um, he he was uh shit. If I had my notes, he he was the manager of a couple of the biggest um managers. Probably not even the right word. Does that guy's face? Eli Weeby lived in the uh, uh, white hot center of Los Angeles nightlife for more than a decade of hustle scramble. I just read his book, and uh, I'm having him on. Do you know who this guy is? I don't. Um, he yeah, ran a nightclub good. called. What was the name of the nightclub he ran? Fuck. Okay, I could go over here and check my notes of that. Do you do, do you do any of that scene? Do you do that nightclub scene? No, I'm not. You know, a big partier. To be honest, I uh, um, used to go when I was a kid you know, try to get chicks or whatever, but you know, like, uh, there's these guys that are actually they're the, I don't know if you've heard of them, the Houston brothers, they, they started running a couple comedy gigs and they are big in the nightclub scene. And I was running a show over there with a friend of mine at this place. Um, and are they Russians? Are these guys Russians? I um, no, they're Asian. I'm oh, not okay. sure. I think maybe Filipino or Thai. I'm not a hundred percent sure to be honest. The um, Houston brothers. Yeah, they're real big in the uh, the nightclub scene. They're uh, they run like I think ten different ones. There's one in Vegas. They just opened up, but they started getting into the comedy biz a little bit. So um, we had some fun right after the pandemic doing some shows over there. Hey, um, the name of the club is called Warwick. Does that sound familiar? Mm -mm. No. Okay. I mean, it sounds um, familiar, but I don't know if if I've ever been there or anything like that. Did you leave at California at all during the pandemic? I, I went to L. So just so you know, just to be completely transparent, I I um just a full blown dirt twir twirler. Like my kids never wear shoes unless they're skateboarding. I don't like. I don't do masks. I don't do vaccines. I I lick the fucking backside of a fucking donkey. Like I'm. I I just don't need, I don't need added sugar, refined carbohydrates. My immune system. I'm the shit. I'm like a fucking closest thing you could be to a walking god. True, right, Caleb? And um, uh, so, but but I went to LA a couple times during the pandemic, uh -huh. and it was fucking. It, it was weird. Where do you it, live now? 
I'm in Santa Cruz, California. It's a little weird here too. It's a little weird in Berkeley, California too. Like when I go visit those places, like people are completely fucking freaked out. You know what I mean? Like I was standing um, about a year ago during the middle of the pandemic, I was standing in front of a, a, a place to get some food with my kids and everyone was like, you know, eight feet apart and masked except for me and my family. And some lady went by with her, with her three, two year old kids and was like, don't get close to those kids. Don't get close to those kids. And it was fucking nuts. I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've got people in my on? life on both ends of the spectrum when it comes to the, uh, to the, yeah, yeah. We that. weren't allowed to go to family, family reunions or none of that shit. Mm -hmm. Um, but LA was pretty, it was pretty intense, right? It was about as intense as it gets. I mean, yeah, you had to wear masks even outdoors for a while. And you know, there was a point I'm pretty sure I don't, it was, we, I, I pretty much stayed in the whole time. You know, it was just, uh, there was no comedy. Comedy clubs were closed for all that time, and they just uh, there wasn't really not much to do anyway because everything was either closed or you know there was no movies. Couldn't go. How into about innovation? Did you think about like maybe like going stand? You know that like there's a park in London. When I lived in London, I used to go to where like there's a park where dudes just sit, literally stand on boxes and like orate. I, you know what I mean? You know what park I'm talking about? It's like a famous park in London. Maybe Kayla will pull it up. I know but, what you're talking about. Um, they tried to do drive-in shows with cars. They tried to do Zoom shows on, you know, like we're doing right now. And I'm just, I'm just gonna wait till the real. What What about back. just like go like to the to the Ivy like in front there, like even if it's closed, and just start just fucking get on a soapbox and practice bits. Like, was there anyone doing any like just totally? I have a friend. I have a friend that went to Venice and was doing it down there. You know, like you know they have performers down there and like yeah. And stuff he was doing it down there and making a few bucks but uh i didn't i i would just i just waited how do you know i'm uh, um, speaking of venice have you seen the rapper harry mack mm -mm. is he really good oh my goodness is he oh better my. than me uh you're good you're good <laughs> I, I i did actually enjoy your rap this guy is so special you should check out his youtube he is okay. so special his name's harry, harry mack um okay. Yeah, he's crazy. Basically, he'll just go anywhere and just start rapping. Uh, don't get us pulled down, Caleb. Don't get us fucking censored. Don't get us. Don't get crazy. Got to be careful about the videos and sounds you play, huh? If I, yeah, if if I was um, if I was a comic, I'd be like OCD about like ha always having material. Do you yeah. ever get that? I have OCD about. It not having new material that's my you know it's really hard like i just got yeah. together with my friend this week we did a writing session and i did it last week as well and i'm really trying to buckle down and get some new stuff but i have some jokes that work every single time and it's hard not to want to do that when you have 200 people sitting in front of you you know so yeah you know so i, I try to mix it up you know i try to get the good stuff and put in some new stuff with it and that's you know until that until that becomes great stuff so that's the that's the path i take but yeah i, I mean i mean i've i've never done stand-up so I, this is just fucking nuts for me even to fucking slip it try to slip in your lane but isn't it like you go to a coffee shop and you see a guy walk in with a girl and you just start the fucking skit up in your head that's how mine works and i just and i pretend like i'm in front of a crowd and i'm doing this skit. so I see, i'm sitting in the coffee shop i see this guy and girl walk in this mm -hmm. motherfucker is so fucking fat and his girlfriend is so fucking skinny and i start imagining two of the fuck and then don't is is that is that like is my that brain would all if i felt like i had to go on stage in front of people i'd always be doing that it would i would probably yeah. lose my mind yeah, the material is always birthed in a different way or another, but normally with me, it's like 
it'll be like I'm in a situation and if I start cracking up with my friends because of something that I said, then I'm like, oh, this can this might be something I could turn into something, you know, you know, that's how my brain works. So it's usually just that's another thing. Like during the pandemic, everyone was in their own little bubbles and like you couldn't get out and experience new things because everything was closed out here. And I I, I do find myself being a lot more creative when I can get out of the house and be in different scenarios and observe different things. So um, that's something I got to do more of. Um, and, and I have been, so. When's your next gig? Um, Tuesday, this Tuesday coming up. Um, can you pull up his, Oh, you're a good dude, Caleb. There we go. Yeah. You look, you, you look like Ryan Reynolds there. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. That's a huge compliment. It's a huge, you, you don't, do you dye your hair? No. Fuck. How can that be? How can that be? Uh, gray right here. Can't really tell, I guess, but no, is. no, it almost looks red. <laughs> so, so you're busy as shit. Um, I mean, this has become running shows has become when you do it as long as I have, it's kind of like I have a list, I have a spreadsheet, you know. Bill Burr's at the top because he's the biggest draw and it goes down to the people you haven't heard of. And I just go down the list and try to, you know, make, I just need four comics on each show. Sometimes it happens fast and I, you know, then I just have to write. And I also make deep fake videos. I don't know if you see that at the top up there. Um, I, I, I did see that. What is that about? I it's, did, a, I can't... it's artificial intelligence. It's uh, it's an AI, it's something you could do with AI. It's, it's like Photoshop for videos. Like, oh yeah, this is uh, Pete Davidson on uh, and Kanye West. So you can basically replace a video's a face on on video. That was originally Sasha Baron Cohen and a baby, and I turned it into Kanye West and Pete Davidson. This is from a movie though, so you may want to be careful. But I did, I made it so like I played that on YouTube and I didn't get flagged for a copyright. So I, I edited it enough so that it wouldn't. So you should be uh, fine. So, so do you, you, did you write the program that does that? No, no, I don't have that kind of <laughs> intelligence. I just uh, use it. It's uh, it's, it's pretty tedious though. It's, it's, it's a big steep learning curve. It's not as easy as just like, oh, I'm going to, take a picture of Kanye West and put it over here and make this thing do the, you know, you got to get lots of source footage and five to 10,000 images of the person you want to put on there. And then the software has to train for five days. It's, it, it's a lot of steps involved. You mean the when you say train, you mean the, that's the rendering process? Yeah, it has to, it's a very slow process at this, at this step of the technology and you got to let it train there's like a there's like a curve and it has to flatten out and then you go to the next step and it curves and it flattens out and you go to the next step and it curves and it, it's a pain in the butt. And if but, it's uh, fucked up, you got to redo it. So like something that's renders for five days, then it's you're like, oh, shit, then you got to start over again. Render again. Um, truthfully, after a day, there's there's a blurry face there and you can see if it's going to work or not. OK, um, so you could test it the first after the first night and you can stop if it's not going to work at that point. But how, how did you learn that skill? I saw, I was like, how, I saw a couple very basic ones when the technology first came out and I hit up one of the guys on Instagram and I was like, is there any way you could teach me or just tell me the software that's used? And he told me, 
And uh, I didn't realize two years later, I'd still be asking questions. Like it, it, it keeps evolving and it keeps getting more, the graphic cards you need that it get, get more, you know, expensive. And it, it's, it's a lot, but I'm what kind of computer do you have? Better ones. Um, I got four computers in front of me. I got a mo two monitors up there. I got one in front of me. I got three computers down here. I got one upstairs. They're homemade computers. It's, it's all about having a powerful GPU, um, you know, graphics card. So you, so you're a PC guy, you, you don't do any of this on Apple. None. I don't do anything on Apple except for my iPhone and my iPad. Wow. I wish they were one company so I can have iMessage on my computer, but unfortunately that's not in the cards with uh, the way things are with these and, companies. And why are you a PC guy? Are you a PC guy because of this software, because of the deep fakes? Did you used to be an Apple guy, but you're like, can't run the software on PCs? I've always been a PC guy. Um, the only time I've ever dabbled in Apple is with the uh, portable devices. Um, I've just, when we were young, my friends were all into PC games, you know, and we would, you know, we, we, we all had Commodore 64s. You remember that? Yeah, was, yep, yep. Yeah. I had one of those. Yep. And then we moved on and we went on to like IBM computers and, you know, Hewlett Packard and Compaq and all that stuff. And we played games and it just, once you're used to something, if you're used to an Android, you're probably never going to move to an iPhone and and vice versa, you know? And uh, I just never really got into Macs. So it just never happened. Every once in a while, I'll get a PC and try to fuck with it. And within a week, I've taken it back or sent it back. I just can't figure yeah. out any of like, it's really just the, um, the, where all the settings are, right? The learning curve of like where you learn to adjust the monitor or what monitor to pick or the audio or where the, yeah. where the files are stored or how. It, yeah. Yeah. It's just like a phone. Like you use a iPhone. Yeah, and every once in a while I get an Android. Like I really want to fuck with the um, folded up Androids. I want to get like a really nice Android, but like I know that like I'm gonna have it for a week and I'm gonna blow my brains out. Like you're like someone's texting me and I can't see their typing, and it's just yes. there's always like little things. And each what you're used to is what you gotta probably stick with. <laughs> That's why I'm with PCs and iPhones because those are the things that I started with. Never but played Oregon Trail. Is that a PC game? Yeah, I played other games, uh, but I never got into that one for some reason. But I know it was very popular back then. Oh, I want to tell you a story. So you told a story on the um, <laughs> on the Craig Conant podcast. I'm really mm -hmm. sorry if I came at that hard, by the way. Oh, it's, it's just, okay. I, I, mean, just, I watched the hour and 42 minutes of that, and um, I t kept telling myself not to bring it up, but man. <laughs> I keep you never smoke not to get mad at my Jewish mom when she nags me. So we can't control our emotions sometimes. Yes. Um, um, or mouths. Um, so yeah. you told a story about when you were 30 years old and you'd never smoked weed before. Yeah. And you had a girlfriend at the time who's like, um, she would watch a movie, Young Guns. By the way, one of my favorite movies. I love Young Guns. Yeah. Great movie. Smile. Make you famous. Yeah. Fuck. So Could kill good. your dick. Yeah. Could and both of them are great. The sequel's great too. Yeah, I've only seen the sequel once because I didn't like it as much, but I should watch it again. I remember oh, I, I had dude. John Bon Jovi's soundtrack, and I listened to that all the time. Dude, so good. I watched Young Guns probably, no shit. That and Top Gun probably I've watched 100 times each, and Young Guns too. I probably watched like 50 times. Yeah, it, it, It's awesome. I like when Charlie – I like Charlie – well, I liked it when Charlie Sheen got killed. I thought that was so brave. back. Then, I remember even being young and watching it. I was like, wow, what a brave move to kill off one of the stars right away. Yeah. Um, so, so you tell that story and it reminded me of a story that I wanted to share with you. This, I met this, I met this lady, I was, uh, met this lady one time. Um, she was, uh, she went to Harvard 
and she uh, I, I was my uh, my ex girlfriend at the time lived in whatever town Harvard's in, and it's Harvard's in Connecticut, right? I think so. What what, what do you know what town that is, Caleb? That um, Harvard's in what's that called? That town, Cambridge, Massachusetts. No, no. Oh, so not Harvard. Sorry. What's Am I- Yale? Yale. Oh, Yale. I think is in Connecticut. Yes, yeah, somewhere. Not important. New Haven, Connecticut. Yes, yes, New Haven. Yes, my girlfriend lived in New Haven, and she had this friend there who who went to Harvard, and and we were there visiting, and her friend told us this fucking crazy story, but but it but it really stuck with me, and I wanted to share it with you. So her friend her friend's dating this guy for like two years, and she's pretty sure she's gonna marry him, and she loves him, and she really 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 wants to fuck him in the ass, and he's like no, and she like really with, wants to like do a it. Dildo? Yeah, yeah, strap on. Yeah, yeah, not her own dick, like a store-bought one. And she really wants to do it, and she's fucking pressuring him to do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. Third year into their relationship, he finally is like, you know, they're engaged and shit, and, and he's like, okay, you, you can do it, you know. And she fucks him in the ass, right? You know where this is going? No, this is a friend of yours, though? A uh, friend of a friend. It was my girlfriend's yeah. friend. <laughs> no, it's a story. I saw it, I saw the story written on a bathroom wall. No, but it's a friend of a, I want I need some distance. It was my it was my girlfriend at the time's friend. And so she fucks this guy in the ass. And about a week later, this guy's like, Hey, I want to do it again. And she's like, Okay. And then after fucking a while, he's like asking for it all the time. Yeah. And she loses all fucking respect for him and fucking kicks him to the curb. Wow. Well, so she's the one who wanted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it just made me think of that. Like he he did something he didn't want to do for her. He ended up liking it and she lost all she, and she just said she told us she's like, Yeah, I lost all respect from who the fuck wants to be with a guy who likes to get fucked in the ass. I was like, Oh, fair enough. Um, but um do you still do you still smoke weed? Once in a while. It doesn't affect me very well sometimes, and I just don't Love it. I took a weed. I t- sometimes I'll take these uh, sleep gummies, you know, and yeah. they'll really yeah. knock me out. But uh, I think uh, sometimes it just makes me not happy sometimes. So I don't I don't like weed. I, yeah. stopped, sm- I stopped smoking when I was, I don't know, 20. I, like I stopped smoking in my 20s or late 20s. I was like on a five year. Like I started smoking probably when I was late, late, like 23, 24. And then I smoked. 35 times a day for like five right. years, you know, just like yeah. always smoking. And then I just quit. I was like, cause I didn't want to leave the house anymore. I got paranoid and shit. Yeah. If I, if it made me feel like some people that it may, it, how it makes some people feel, I'd probably do it, but it doesn't make me feel that way. So I just, uh, I get, I start thinking of, uh, negative things and I get yeah. paranoid and I just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, we have enough of that without smoking weed. So <laughs> <laughs> did that girl end up ever? Did that girl, just to test out my theory? Did that lady leave you because you smoked too much weed? Um, no, we didn't. Oh. Uh, oh. We we ended up breaking up for other reasons, but uh, we're still friends, and uh, we still talk about that story. Actually, I don't really. Um, I don't think people want to date people who like are addicted to stuff. Yeah, I mean. I guess even if you're addicted to it, like two stoners, like really deep down inside, I think they're like, "Fuck, this sucks." <laughs> I think a lot of them are have no plan on stopping and they are happy together. But I think in some cases you're probably right. Um, but you ever watched intervention that show? No. Was it a TV yeah. show? 
Yeah, it's really good, actually. It's a reality show, one of the first reality shows. And, you know, there's they, they secretly they tell somebody they're doing a, a drug documentary and we're going to follow you around. We're going to pay you this much money. And they're like, OK. And they don't know that they're on intervention where their family is going to be there at the end. And they stage this big intervention. It's always very, you know, a very touching show. But, uh, yeah, it's 23 seasons it's been going. Holy shit. Hey, yeah. if, if someone ever did an intervention on me, I had a friend whose wife did an intervention on him. I would feel so betrayed. They do initially, but these people are at the point where they're going to die. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, okay. it's that point of the addiction. It's not just like, you know, this kid goes out and does Coke every weekend. Um, like they're selling their families heirlooms and, you know, they're ruining everyone's life and they, they're like, we can't have you in our lives anymore. So this is, it's either us or the drugs. Yeah. It gets to that point. You ever have a you haven't ever had any roommates who stole shit from you for their drug habit? No. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I had these two I had these two housemates that, that were into heroin. Like they just steal everything. Oh yeah, that'll do it. It was crazy. I'd be like, where's my bike? They're like, We we stole it. I'm like, oh fuck. You just start to learn not to leave anything out. Or maybe just get different roommates. Eh, I kind of wanted to I wanted to watch it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, yeah, you love that show then. Yeah, I, 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 all the stuff that other people usually get rid of their friends for, like, I kind of want to, like, I'm keep you, see how this plays out. This is usually where most people pull the parachute. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, like, this is too interesting to abandon. Um, Brian, I, um, thank you for coming on. I, I want to, in all the most sincerity and honesty I can, um, in the next uh, five to ten years, when um, people start saying that I am the um, uh, Joe Rogan and Howard Stern of uh, someone fucked and had a kid and Savamatosian is that is you know Joe Rogan and Howard Stern of the podcast world, um, you will always have access to my podcast. Thanks, man. As coming on here as a as a true Hollywood comic and, and, and giving me the CEO some love. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks, dude. All right. And um, I, although you don't share your phone number because you're a paranoid LA guy, I totally understand. You have my phone <laughs> number in the um, you have my phone number in the um email thread, and you cool. can text me at any time. If you ever need me to promote anything or help you do anything, let me know. I appreciate that. Peace, brother. So, Thank you. Later. <laughs>